part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can be seated as you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 this morning. Romans chapter 7. The beauty of that song that we just sang, I, I pray that you know it personally. I pray that you know it intimately. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that even if you really don't think, hey, that doesn't really describe me, that, I don't know that I can really claim that this morning. By the time that we would leave here this morning, you can claim that. Uh, either that assurance of that walk that you have with Christ because of what he has done, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done, or even if you come this morning and you feel like, you know, I'm on the other side of that line and, and I've never trusted Christ. The hope of the gospel is that this very day that you can put your faith and hope and trust in that finished work of Christ. I, I got a very probing question for you this morning. It's, it's probably one of those that uh, uh, we kind of know the answer to, but I don't know that we like to say the answer out loud. Have you ever been surprised by your own sin? I mean, especially if you've walked with Christ, trusted Christ for a long time. Have you ever been surprised by your own sin? To, to where you kind of say, Man, did I say that? Did I think that? Did I act that way? Maybe it's something selfish and ungodly. just something that you would not think is characteristic of the Christian life. And, and yet you claim to be a Christian. And in fact, you know that you're a Christian. And yet you just acted very unchristlike. And, and sometimes that puts such a dilemma in our hearts. It puts such a, a contrary thought in our hearts that we begin to think all kinds of wild things. Sometimes we doubt our own salvation. We're going, that is so far from the way of Christ that, that maybe I'm not even a Christian. Or we begin to think that maybe Christianity is just one big pipe dream. Maybe somebody just made it up and it doesn't really have a lot of reality. So when we begin to see this lifestyle that is kind of contrary with a life that we want to live, that we desire to live, and, and we see that complexity in our own life and that contrast, sometimes we begin to, to look internal for the answers. Other times we try to look externally and we go, maybe this is just one big fairy tale. Well, this morning we're going to look in Romans chapter 7 because I want you to know that if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever been surprised by your own sin, you're in very good company. You're in a very crowded room. I don't know that any authentic believer has not really wrestled with that problem before of, of having those days, not just when you kind of said the wrong thing to your wife or husband, not just when you kind of had a, a lustful thought or a, a selfish thought or this, that, and the other, but, but really even a pattern of your life that began to, you know, you walked down that pattern and, and that road for a little while. And this morning we want to say, you know, how do we kind of make sense out of all that? How do we really kind of take that challenge of knowing that God has saved us and, and that we really are redeemed, the truth of that song, and, and yet we don't feel so redeemed. We're in the midst of some of the choices that we would make. And so this morning we were, we're going to you know, try to answer that question, question scripturally. Am I really Christian if I still continue to sin? You know, if I do sin and I am a Christian, then, then why do I still battle with all these evil things within from time to time? And, and maybe the most important question, man, is this battle always going to go on? Because it can be tiresome. I mean, it can flat wear you out. And that battle with your own sin, not with other people's sin. I mean, we get tired of other people's sin enough. But it's that own sin, our own sin, when, we're, when we feel like we're kind of being torn in two different directions. And so this morning we're going to look at that from a spiritual aspect, uh, maybe a little bit of a philosophical aspect, because I, I do think that it actually has an answer there that we can still ground in scriptural truth. But I want to be very practical. I, I want to tell you right up front, Romans 7 is probably one of the most debated of all chapters of the Bible. 
Theologians have taken, I mean, good theologians have taken stands on all over the place, and it would be so easy to put you to sleep. And some of you that are coming off the latest retreat, you go, hey, I'm already sleepy, you know, just to start talking some theology, and then we'll be right there. Uh, But I really want to be practical because all good theology, all good truth and theological truth has a practical outcome for our life. God just didn't give us these facts and all these things and these theological truths so that we could fill our minds and think that we're really smart people. Now, at the end of the day, he wanted that theological truth to be the foundation of how we live our life. How many of you have ever heard, read the book, and now it's a musical, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Any of you familiar with that? Maybe you didn't read the book, but you're at least kind of familiar with that. What well, actually comes out of the 1800s, and Robert Louis Stevenson, a uh, guy who wrote Treasure Island, actually wrote this book too. And it is near the end of his life. And it really kind of was a, a self-description of some of the torment that he uh, felt in his life. And, and basically the story, without getting into every little uh, detail, is this man, Dr. Jekyll, is an upstanding man. He is well-known in the high rank of society. All the in-crowd come to him. He's a, you know, a, a very well-to-do doctor. And, uh, but at night he begins to kind of play in the laboratory a little bit and mix up different elixirs and tries to, to, to make different potions. And he comes up with the potion that actually he begins to decide to test on himself. And he takes this and it turns him into this very diabolical, uh, you know, Mr. Hyde. And, and they could not be farther from the truth of one another as far as just, uh, as far as their actions. Dr. Uh, Jekyll, very polished, the guy that you would want to come over and, uh, you know, uh, kiss your baby. Uh, Mr. Hyde, the farthest that you would hide your baby from Mr. Hyde. And, and as the story would go on, it's a very involved story, but, it, uh, you know, it, by day, he, he's Dr. Jekyll. He, he's not only kind of this outstanding character, but he saves lives. He's a doctor. By night, he's Mr. Hyde, and he actually takes lives. There's murder, there's all kinds of devious uh, violence that goes on. And the whole story goes around, you know, this complexity, and it kind of is wrapped up in one point at moment of, of this book when, when Dr. Jekyll is actually walking by and, and he looks into the mirror and he sees the reflection of Mr. Hyde. And he realizes that Mr. Hyde is he and he is Mr. Hyde. I think that's kind of the complexity that sometimes we feel as Christians. I mean, I feel that way. I, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But have you ever felt that way? That there's part of you that just loves Jesus. I mean, you really do. When you sing a song and it just, I mean, it brings joy to your heart. You read scriptural truth or you, know, you, you hear about different things that God has just proclaimed for the believer. And, and you go, man I, man, I love that. And then there's a part of you that is just really surprised that, hey, if I love that so much, why can I still think this way from time to time? Well, that's what Paul begins to deal with in Romans chapter 7. And like I said, there, there's some really deep theological things that are going on there. Uh, it's one of those that uh, theologians have debated. Is this Paul before he becomes a Christian? Because, you know, this kind of warfare within yourself doesn't sound like, you know, the true victorious Christian life. And, 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 or is this Paul still as a Christian? He's a Christian, and yet it's just the reality that even though we have put our faith and trust in Christ, we still have to contend with a part of our old nature. Even though in Romans 6 it tells us that the old self was crucified with Christ. And so how do we justify all this? 
But here's the choice that I had before us this one, either to get deeply theological and show you, hey, guys, here's the grounded truth that we can really bury ourselves in, or try to be very practical. And I chose the latter. Because at the end of the day, I don't know that you really care about this Greek word or that Greek word if it doesn't really change your life of how you go to work, school, play tomorrow, how you do life with husband and wife and family, how you parent your kids. At the end of the day, how do we really answer this question of this seemingly dichotomy between the saved self and this old self that is there? So this morning we're going to go to Romans chapter 7 and maybe chapter, uh, I mean chapter 7 verse 15. Maybe this is where Paul really just kind of nails it. This is where Paul really begins to, to say, and I don't know that there's a Christian that I know of that hasn't at least thought this. Maybe this isn't the words that you use, but I don't know that there's a Christian that I've ever met in my entire life that didn't say, amen. You know, I like that John 3:16 and that Romans 7:15. Because at Romans 17, listen to what Paul said. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. We would kind of, where would you place Paul on the uh, uh, status of Christianity? Probably near the top, okay? Uh, the majority of the New Testament is written under the inspiration of God by Paul. And so, you know, this is the guy, the Apostle, that we think just walks and talks with God. And yet, look, listen to what he said about himself. He said, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Any amens to that? I mean, I mean, have you ever felt that way? I mean, I, I don't know that there's a husband, especially a husband that would be here today, that would wake up and say, you know, I just, man, I just really want to be contrary to my wife today. I don't know that there's a parent, a mom or a dad that says, you know, I just really want to be as belligerent as I can to my kids. I think we want to be a godly dad, a godly mom. I think we want to be a godly spouse. I think we want to be a representative of Christ in this world. We really desire that, and there is this thirst for that. And yet when this selfishness and this very worldly basis comes into our lives, we're going, okay, what's up with that? Where did that come from? Why did that one person who crossed me in the office this morning, and I kind of got left holding the bag, why did I just want to go over there and knock on you know, is that very Christ-like? You know, is that the spirit of Christ within me, just wanting to jump out? And so we work with this, and this is a very practical thing, and we begin to see that Paul begins to address this. Next week, we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. It's, again, been called one of the most majestic, if not the most majestic chapter in the entire Bible. And we will see wonderful truths throughout Romans chapter 8. Have you ever heard at least the phrase kind of once saved, always saved? It's not going to say it in those direct terms in Romans 8, but, but the truth is there. Have you ever uh, heard about how we as the children of God can call God Abba Father, this intimacy of Abba, Romans chapter 8? Have you ever heard about that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans chapter 8? I mean, I can go on and on. It is the pinnacle, it is the Mount Everest of all these great biblical truths of what it means to be in Christ. It's not for everybody. These are not truths. Romans chapter 8 is not for a world that has not put place in their, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is it's for those who said, you know, look, I have no merit of my own, but I trust the merit of Christ and his grace and by faith alone, grace alone, I, I give my, my life to Christ alone by the glory of God alone. And we begin to really rest in that. Well, that's Romans chapter 8. And so you might find it peculiar that with such a majestic chapter 8, 
that Paul would be really struggling with this whole identity crisis, although it seems in Romans chapter 7. I mean, Paul really had this whole thing with sin and kind of who he was. I mean, he had it down. There's a time in the Bible he said, I am the least of all the apostles. He says that in, to the Corinthians. He said, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, but he said, I'm the chief of what? Of sinners. He said, but now when it comes to sin, I mean, I'm the chief of sinners. So Paul kind of has this, this part that is very humble about him. And, and if you didn't know where Paul was coming from with those kind of statements, you would think that maybe he had a self-image problem. So that's, unfortunately, in our culture, that's how we would deal with that. Well, Paul just needs to go to a little bit of affirming, you know, classes and, and be affirmed. You know, what Paul needs is that identity in Christ. Well, I, I promise you, folks, the Apostle Paul did not have an identity crisis as we would see it by our culture. When he said that he is not even deserving to be an apostle, that he's the least of all apostles, he's saying that truthfully and humbling because he's really realizing the weight of that sin. When he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, he's not just trying to sound kind of pious. He truly sees the weight of his sin. But it's not because he had an image problem. It's because he saw the reality of the gospel. You and I, you and I will never know the depth of our sin until we see the pure holiness of God. Right now we look through a, a mirror dimly. We see, we see truth. God reveals truth to us. But we don't see the fullness of it one day. That song, Amazing Grace, guys, I believe that we're going to sing that. And if we sing it for a thousand years, I really don't think we're going to get tired of it because for the first time, with all reality, with nothing holding back, we're going to see how amazing that grace really is. Because when it's in that closeness to the holiness of God that we begin to see the sinfulness of man. If that's all there was to the story, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, it would be the most tragic of all stories. But we call it the good news because it doesn't end there. God so loved this world that he would send his own son, perfect in every way, to be a, a substitute, a payment, so that you and I, as we just sang, might be redeemed. So that's why Paul didn't shy away from kind of saying, hey, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the chief of all sinners. He, he didn't shy away from that truth because it, it wasn't something that he was trying to put on show. He wasn't trying to kind of just make a, sta- a statement there that would draw a, a attention to himself. What he was saying is, man, when I draw close to the truth about God, it really shows me greater than ever, better than ever, the truth about myself. And if you got nothing out of the last six weeks of this discerning truth in a deception world. I hope that that's what you have learned, that the, the Bible will always tell us the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And when we see that, we see the hope of the gospel. Well, here's what we begin to see. He, he, Paul has this, and uh, he, he's frustrated with these inward battles. Look what he says in verse 16 and 17. Look what he says about God's law. He says, Now if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law. That is good. That it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We're going to spend just a little couple of moments there because this is very important. Paul's inability to carry out the law wasn't because the law wasn't good. When did sin come into the world? Just okay, Adam and Eve. Okay, so we have Adam and Eve, and it came after there was the establishment of a law. And what was that law? Thou shalt not eat of this tree. 
Until then, there's, we don't find sin there. It's after that law was established. And what Paul's saying here is, look, that law wasn't a bad law. It's not like God just, you know, got angry and cranky one day and he said, hey, the best tree you can't eat from. No, he made a law. You can eat from every one of these other trees, but you can't eat from this. And so he established a law. And Paul is saying that law was good. God in his holiness, he's, he's allowed to give that law. He said, it's not the problem with the law. The problem was, man, there was something within Adam and Eve that you know, said, man, I, I want to kind of do it my way. Well, Paul would go on to say that everyone who's been born since Adam and Eve, folks, we never had a fighting chance. We were born into that sin nature. And we've had to contend with that sin nature from the very, very beginning. All young parents who have children five and under, how many hours have you spent training and disciplining your children to be disobedient? None. And yet, how many of you found that your children are, at times, disobedient? Yeah. It's not because grandma, well, maybe grandma did spoil them a little bit, but you know, it's, it's not because of, you know, it's because of the sin nature. From the very beginning, we have this bent that says, me do. Have you ever had a child come up and say that? Me do. I want to do it. Hands off, mom, dad. I want to do it my way. And, and folks, that's the sin nature. That, that's what it looks like in infancy. And, and maybe sometimes it's even cute. Have you ever laughed at your kid's disobedience, but you had to kind of, you know, kind of hide your face because you don't want them to see that you're laughing? But it really was, we thought, a little bit cute. But it's not cute when we begin to grow. And that disobedience really starts to play a factor in our life. And so Paul says here in verse 16, he says, okay, the law, he said, I agree with the law, and the law is good. It's the, the problem is not with God establishing the law. He said, the problem is that the sin that dwells in me. He says, I'm, I'm responsible, even though I was born with the sin nature. Uh, don't see verse 17 as a get-me-out-of-jail-free card. You know, when he says, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Katie, as your, as your young son would go out and kind of be disobedient, what if your child came up and said, it is no longer I who do this, but it is sin that dwells in me. I mean, is that really going to work for you? You know, that, that's where you, if, you, if you decide that you're going to reprimand that child and maybe even spank that child, okay, I'm going to spank. Well, it is not I. Yeah, but that sin is in you and I'm going to get to it. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you begin to see that connection. And this, so Paul is not trying to give us an excuse for our sin. He's just saying, look, guys, what we, in one way we never had a fighting chance. Now look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul is describing there, again, the debate is this Paul before he was a Christian or after he is a Christian. I firmly go on the side of this is after he's a Christian because I, I think that there's too many things. Number one, I could bore you with all the tenses and the present tense, perfect tense, all those kind of things of the actual grammar here. But also there's, there's too many other statements that he makes here that would be uncharacteristic of, uh, of, of life before Christ. But, but what we see is a struggle and he, and he begins to... Uh, so, you know, he wants to please God, but, but he's still carrying around this old flesh. I, I work a lot with guys in, in, in marriage-type situations. And I don't know of a guy who just says, you know, I just don't want to be a good, godly husband. I, I don't want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I just don't meet guys, too many guys like that. 
In fact, just the opposite is true. You know, I, I want to be that godly husband. I want to be that godly dad. I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Was it just as simple as putting your mind to that? What we realize is that we wrestle with this something within us that it can be the very best thing. I was at a conference one time and I shared a story about, you know, how we can just, uh, you know, we can't wait to get home and just kiss our wife and just love on her because maybe something happened that day at work that we just made us appreciate so much more that relationship. And walk in the door, and I, I said, you know, one time I felt that way. I just, I couldn't wait to get home. Walked in the door, and, and Carly was, hard to believe, was a little cantankerous. And you know that whole desire to love my wife as Christ loved the church? How long do you think it took for my pride to kick in and forget everything that I'd been wanting for three or four or five hours looking for this magical kiss at the end of the day for it just to go out the door? Well, I shared that after that session, during the session break, guy after guy after guy after guy came up and said, man, I'm there with you, preacher. Man, I've been there. In a way, that's what Paul's saying here. I want to do well, but, but I can't. And what does he explain at all? That the law is not good? No, he says, you know, I still have this, this old nature that is there. Can we show that cartoon? I, I saw this this week, and I thought it really kind of characterized the, uh, the, the Christian life. This sign, absolutely no machete juggling. And this guy's just saying, you know, suddenly having this urge to you know, juggle machetes. Isn't that just typical of this human nature? Don't touch wet paint. And what is the urge within you? You know, don't open, you know, for, for management only. You know, don't open the door. And, and this urge that we just want to open that door. Folks, that's that human nature. And, and so the struggle here is, you know, when it says keep out that we want to go in, curiosity, uh, it, but it's also that example of, of being in control. We want to be in control. We, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We have this very independent spirit. And, and so... There wasn't really this, you know, sin until God said, don't eat from this tree. And then all of a sudden, they were confronted with, do I want to do it God's way or do I want to do it my way? All of a sudden, there was this temptation of who's really in control. And and really, that's the core of the sin nature. Call it pride, call it whatever you want to. But at the core of your nature, my nature, and our old life, at the core that we were born with, never had a fighting chance, is this old nature. But now the biggest question comes up, okay, Bobby, I I thought Christ took care of all that. You know, are are we still in the balance of our own sin or or really has all the sin been paid for? See, we understand the beginning part, but but it's this crucial question that we have to ask, okay, where is my sin at? Why am I still as a Christian, as a professing, believing Christian, why am I still struggling with, hey, I just want to all of a sudden juggle machetes? How do we get it? Look at the next verse, 19 and 20. Paul deals with this, and he answers it both practically, but, but theologically. He has a theological base and a, a practical outcome. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It's almost a repeat of verse 16. And, and I, I promise you guys, that really doesn't wash with a lot of people. It doesn't wash with a mom or dad if you're, if you're a child and said, it's not really me. It's just the sin in me. You know, you, you really go off at, 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 at work. I don't know that this really washes with your boss. 
hey, it is just not, it's not me. I'm not the one that's showing up at 1030 when I know that we were supposed to start at 7. It is really just, it's just sin with me. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be here at 7. In fact, I really wanted to be here at 630 so I could kind of clean up the place even before, you know, regular work hours. But, but it's not really me. It's just sin in me that showed up at 1030. Paul's not trying to give an excuse here. But what he's doing is really trying to, to give the reality that though he has trusted Christ for his total forgiveness, there's still this old nature that continues. Look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of y'all believe that? (laughs) That even when you want to do right, it's like this line that is just there in the grass. Have you ever watched National Geographic? And, you know, these cute little you know, llamas or, you know, antelope or whatever is out there. And they're just cute. And they're just minding their own business. They're just doing what, you know, antelope do. And all of a sudden this tiger comes, this this lion comes up and he sneaks up in the grass and he kind of gets there. And all of a sudden, pounce. Paul says, man, that's how I feel about sin. He says, I I find that the law to be a law that when I want to do right, the very thing that I want to do right, I aspire to do this but I find evil lies close at hand. He said, this is the war that I'm facing. I so identify with Paul here. And I do not think that he's doubting his Christianity. I do not think that Paul is thinking that somehow the work of Christ is not sufficient. I don't think that Paul is, you know, wondering about deep theological truths. I think Paul is just being, in one way, deeply theological but deeply practical. I think that he's saying, okay, guys, I understand that... Yes, I have been redeemed. In fact, everything that we're going to see in chapter 8, this majestic chapter of Romans 8, he would not be able to claim unless he was totally redeemed of who he is now in Jesus Christ. He just said, man, why is it that I still have this shadow? Why have this, this torment, this wrestling? And so he begins to, 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 to talk about this a little bit more. And look what he says in verse 22 and 23. See if this, if you're a Christian here this morning, see if this doesn't kind of characterize a lot of feelings, a lot of real life of what you have experienced. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Anybody understand that? That there's a part when you read God's word, or maybe you're just singing a praise and worship song and you're you're singing it and it's like, yes, Amen. I mean, you're all by yourself in the car. Have you ever amened in the car? I mean, I have before. I mean, it's just one of those things where you're going, you know, maybe it was a song that came on or whatever it was, and it was so scripturally true that you just, yes. And the people look at you like, okay, do we need to call somebody? <laughs> Is he okay? And, and just, but the truth was there. That's what Paul says there in verse uh, 22. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And he said, there's a part of me that God has now placed inside me, his very spirit, that confirms that his way is right. But look at the next verse, verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See that term, inner man, verse 22? This is the new creation that Paul described in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know when it says that, that we are, you know, the old has passed away, the new has come? That, that hope of, of every Christian, that the old things have passed away. I'm a brand new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. We love that part. That's the inner man. 
He's not the same man. We just sang it. I'm not the man I used to be. The new man has come. And, and yet what we, what we begin to see here is that God has replaced that uh, in Ezekiel 36, it's one of my favorite passages, where he says, I took out a heart of stone and I put in a heart of flesh. I, I took out your heart that was opposing me, Bobby, and in his place I put in a heart that actually could understand and love and cooperate with me. If you're here as a Christian this morning, whether you know it in those terms or not, that is what God miraculously has done for you through Jesus Christ. He took out, as Ezekiel would say, he took out a heart of stone that was contrary to the things of God, and he put in you a heart that would make you conducive. As Paul would say here, I I love the law of God. I delight in the law of God. I, I promise you, folks, you would not do that on your own. That is not to say that there's not some good people in the sense of what our cultural goodness would be or that some lost person can't do a good deed. Yes, a lost person can, can do a good deed, but, but they don't do it because they just see it as God's will for their life. They don't do it in that respect. They, they do it because God has given them even a conscience and ability to, to do what is right and wrong in, in some sense. So Paul is here in this dilemma, and, and as a believer, as one redeemed, he, he says there in verse 23, I see in my members a whole different side. There's a part of me that rejoices, that just in my car goes, amen, this is truth. He said, there's another part of me. <laughs> when, that, when that person hurts me so tragically and never says I'm sorry, never apologizes, never tries to come back and, and make things right, I just want to get them. That I don't mind if evil happens to them. And Paul says, I don't understand this. Am I Dr. Jekyll or am I Mr. Hyde? You know, which one of these two am I? And we could see Paul's dilemma as a struggle. I don't know that Paul was really struggling. I think Paul was really, you know, I mean, Romans 6. Let me give you the summation of Romans 6. Sin has been crucified. Sin has been dealt with. I, I'm no under the, the, the bondage and the penalty, the chains of my sin. Why? Because I've been redeemed. We just sang about it. And if Paul had not covered that in chapter 6, then maybe he would be kind of confused by the time we get to chapter 7. But because he's so clearly said that we are no longer slaves to sin in chapter 6, and he's made it clear that Christ's work is complete as far as salvation, that's not his dilemma. His dilemma is, man, why do I still war with this old part? If it truly really has been crucified, why, why is it still kind of lingering around? Peter said it this way. Good theological truth, guys. Never base your theology on one verse and one verse alone. Most cults, that's where you'll find them. Oh, don't look at this part of the Bible. Don't look at that part of the Bible. Look at this one verse and look at it through this one lens. And so whenever we come upon theological truth that, that maybe kind of stretches us a little bit, see what else the Word of God says. And so let's go to Peter and see what Peter says. Did Peter believe that you could be Christian and still contend with this kind of old nature, even though it's been crucified, that we still would have to battle with it? Well, Peter, First Peter 2.11. Peter in verse 9 and 10 has just gotten on telling these people that they are 
uh, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So he, it's clearly that he's talking about Christians. But look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, again, even the words, beloved. He's talking to fellow believers. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, that is journeymen and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, folks, he would not use language like that if he thought, okay, man, once we're saved, we never have to contend with evil anymore. Paul says it. Peter says it. And so let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Since we know that this is a theological truth, let's go back to Romans 7 and, and see what he says. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When it all comes down to it, near the end of this chapter, Paul says, man, what wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this battle? This tug of war that I'm always feeling. One way that you could read this, and I think it's the inappropriate way, I don't think it's, it's, it's sound theologically and structurally, is a cry and a plea for de- out of desperation. You, you could read this as Paul going, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? As if he's questioning or searching for the answer. I truly believe, given the structure of Romans chapter 7, all that Paul has said, he uses these words not as a plea of desperation, but as a declaration of who he is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because when he asks that question, folks, he already knows the answer. Look at the next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What was his final conclusion? He said, man, the finished work of Christ is sufficient. But he also learned that, man, as long as I'm walking this earth, I'm going to have to contend, you know, even though that old nature has been crucified, the stench of it, the, the, the remnant of it is still there and can bring influence to my life. And that's why there's a constant theme throughout the New Testament, even for the Christian, to, you know, to, 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 to long for holiness, to, to, to avoid evil. Not because we are under the penalty of sin, but because sin can still have some power over us. Not enslave us. But even Paul writes, hey, don't go back. Now that Christ has saved you from sin, don't go back to being a slave of sin. Why would he even say that if there wasn't a possibility that not the penalty of it, but that they wouldn't have influence in our life? Why is this important as we conclude today? Why is this so important? Because without this truth of who we are in Christ, we start to believe that we can be a true slave again to sin. And you can start to doubt your salvation. You can start to doubt the truth of biblical truth. You can start to doubt you know, your walk with Christ. I, I don't know a believer, and again, maybe I'm the exception, but I don't know a believer who hasn't struggled with, man, am I even really saved because why would I have thought that way? And so Paul's conclusion here is that this is a war that's going on, but it is a war that has already been won. Here, here's the beauty of heaven, guys. Here's the beauty of heaven. Here's where we long for heaven. The fullness of Jesus Christ and all of his work is already reality. 
but we will know the fullness of that reality. Why? Because that struggle with the old nature and, and that struggle with sin, gone forever. People always say, man, I just can't wait to heaven because of this, this, and this. All those are good things. But to me, the, the most beautiful thing about heaven, number one, we get God. We get God. Number two, no struggle with sin. Can you imagine an hour with no struggle of sin? I, I've never had one hour of my life, not one hour, where I have not struggled with sin. doesn't mean I gave in to it. doesn't mean that it, I became a slave to it. doesn't mean that I lost my salvation. I, I don't know that I've gone an hour except for maybe in my sleep, you know, where I didn't struggle with sin. And the beauty of heaven is, folks, we see the reality of, of what has happened. And when we begin to see the reality of this, in, in Romans chapter 8, what we're going to do is learn to focus on Christ and not on ourselves. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone for the glory of God alone. That's what we claim. That's what we know. And yet this very week, this very week, I, I, I can imagine that the tempter will be out there to say, man, you're not a Christian. And a Christian wouldn't act like that. And that kind of thought, that wouldn't come into the mind of really somebody who is redeemed. And our focus will come back to our work rather than the finished work of Christ. We're going to do something that we don't often do. Uh, we're going to sing the same song that we just sang before the sermon, after the sermon, because now that it's been grounded in theological truth, I, I pray that we would sing with a new reality. I mean, it's one of our favorite songs, Redeemed, anyway. I mean, we love the truth of that, but, but now that we've grounded into a theological truth, we, we know, hey, this is a struggle, struggling with the old self and, and kind of even being identified with the old self. But, man, here's who I am. I'm going to take my eyes off myself, and I'm going to put them on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because this is who I am now in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I thank you. One reason I believe your word is so true is not only because you've just stated it to be truth, but Father, you don't dodge the hard things. Father, you don't dodge real life. And Father, every one of us today, we we really do understand Paul's dilemma. Whether we understand what Paul was saying, hey, the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is this in me? And Father, there would be a, there's a part of me right now, I, I want to be so finished with sin. In, in reality, Father, I don't want to have to contend anymore with this old flesh and my pride and my selfishness. But Father, in this wrestling, in this struggle, help me not to miss the fact that in Christ Jesus, it's already done. Will you help me to see more and more the reality as you see it and less and less the reality as I see it? Father, not as an excuse to go on and just do whatever I want, not as an excuse to sin, but Father, just see the reality of who you've called me to be. For Father, when I place my eyes on myself, I'm always going to either try to perform. I'm going to feel bad about I didn't perform well. So, Father, will you take my eyes off of myself? And will you put my eyes on the one that I put my trust and faith in? My Redeemer, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, thank you that I am redeemed, not of works, 
but by your grace. And will you allow me to rest? Will you allow us to rest in that? And Father, will you just move in the hearts of, of maybe someone who doesn't have that reality? Father, will you show them the hope of the gospel even this morning that we who know Christ is not because of our abilities and not because of our goodness. Father, that, that we were dead in our sin and you brought us to life through Christ. Will you do that in the lives, even this day, of anyone who would have doubt, anyone who would be looking for answer? And Father, for the Christians this morning, will you work in their lives and, and help them to get their eyes off of them and put it back on the finished work of Christ, not to become lazy, sinful Christians, but just to see how complete your work is. We love you, Father. Give us that new identity in Christ, Father. Let us see it as reality, even this morning, as we have this time of invitation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.